0: Good morning, everybody, and welcome to this episode of 30 Minutes President's Club. My name is Armand Fro. I'm here with my co-host, Nick Sigelski. And today we have the man who's running SDR over at Lupio. His name is Florin Tutulia. Nick, why
1: should people listen? If you're looking for subject lines to steal and sequence structures to copy, you probably want to listen. Three, two, one. I'm calling you tomorrow.
0: Here's my secret to being a sales superhuman. It's auto reminders for everything. If I expect Rocket reach. So if you like this, check out their toolkit on eight ways to triple your cold call connects in the show notes.
1: All right, Florin, welcome to the show. We start every single episode with your top three actionable takeaways.
2: Let's get your three. Number one, ask illuminating questions in both cold calls and emails. Uh, if you're wondering what an illuminating question is, so essentially you want to start the conversation and ask a question to get people to think differently about their current situation. And I'll give you a perfect example of how we do that at Lupio. So one of the questions that we ask, either as the first sentence in an email or on a cold call after we set up the upfront contract, would be something like, hey, Nick, enterprise A's are usually spending multiple days responding to an RFP. How are you ensuring that your reps are focusing on managing their pipelines while responding to 300 questions RFPs at the same time? And essentially what that does, it gets, it's a pattern disrupt, but it also gets them to think a little bit differently about like, oh, okay, I've never really thought about it like that. And it opens up a much better conversation on a cold call or over a potential email. Cool. What's number two? So number two is we prefer using witty photos over a video in outreach, specifically on the outbound side of things. The way that we look at it, outbound is about efficiency. And we found that videos take, first of all, a significant amount of time, and a lot of people don't actually open and view them. Really what we wanna do is, we have this one photo that works really well. It's essentially like the SDR holding up a sign. A very important piece of this is making sure that the prospect's name is on it, so it looks more personal. And then we have just like a PS, I'm not a robot, and a little robot actually like drawn on the whiteboard. And I can't fully explain it, but like the amount of positive responses that we get from this is amazing. And we've booked hundreds of meetings, and I'm actually estimating that because of that photo, we've sourced and closed about over a million dollars in, in ARR. So uh, it's something one of our SDRs did, and it's been truly fantastic. Wow. What's number three, and Round us out. So, number three, backloading your sequences with touch points. So, when you think about a sequence, a lot of people actually front load their sequences. They think that their first three to six steps are are generally the most important. This is actually a, a tip that I got from Beck Holland, and I can validate right here on the show that. She knows exactly what she's talking about. We ran the data. So what you want to do is your last six steps are going to be aggressively over six days, three calls one day at a time, then three emails after that to round it off. And what we've actually did there, we've increased our reply rate from about a 0.4% per email to roughly 2.5%, which is essentially almost like a a five-time increase, which is awesome.
0: This one drives me crazy because in my sequences, or if you're on sales a lot for cadences, Touches one, two, and then like 10 are always the best. And then three through nine, it's like 0% or like 0.8%. And I'm like, should I even be sending these emails? So could you tell me a little bit more about what are you doing in those middle emails right towards the end of your sequence
2: that isn't just like blasting them? Hey, are you interested? Are you interested? I think a lot of people overthink the copy in a lot of these emails. By that point in the sequence, you've already or should have at least provided a decent amount of, of value and content that's actually relatable to them. And also had multiple steps that have a good pitch on what your company and product is actually doing. So at that point, it's almost just like reminding them that you're there and being a little bit aggressive so that you're getting to the yes or to the no very quickly. One of our emails, it has roughly 30% open rate, 2.5% reply rate. It's literally a sad face reply to the email before it, which is uh, usually a value email that has a few pieces of content with no ask. Our very last step is essentially just being like, hey, throughout all of this, I actually forgot to ask, are you even the right person to speak with? And a lot of people actually do that in one of their first steps, but it's much more powerful when you do it at the very end of your sequence, once you've provided that value and people know what you do already.
1: Florin, I'm curious about how you're incorporating content into
2: the sequence.
1: It sounds like you're attaching things, maybe case studies, maybe other marketing collateral. Can you talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah. So I've also, we've done this mistake as well, where we try to like overload an email and you have like three pieces of content, three links, three attachments or whatever. And it's just too much, especially for, for someone that's super busy, like an executive. So what we do is we try to have a use case or a story that we're telling in a specific email. It'll be one piece of content. One thing we use at Lupio, for example, We have an industry benchmark report that comes out every year that everyone's super interested in. So one of the touches is like, hey, if you're curious how you're stacking up against your peers in the RFP space, wanted to provide you this insight report, three takeaways, and we don't ask for anything. It's just an email that is essentially, I almost think of it like a retargeting ad. It's like, hey, we're here. Here's some value. You let them go. And then you you come back later and, and actually have an ask.
0: So have you seen anything with when it comes to your open rates? Because I know you got the photo thing too, and I would consider that content as well. You you mentioned that you get over 50% open rates. Sometimes I've seen teams with
2: open rates of like 30%. How do you get that number up? An open rate is essentially going to be based off of two things that we're constantly A-B testing. It's going to be the subject line, and it's going to be that first sentence in the email that's essentially like a preview. We try to elicit some kind of emotion in a lot of our subject lines and I'll give you a perfect example. So at we sell RFP response software. So we help sales teams respond to RFPs and security questioners a lot faster. A subject line that's working really well right now that has a 50 to 60% open rate, depending on when you send it, is literally like RFP deadlines. Now, if you're responding to RFPs as a salesperson, you're probably going to open that just because it's like you get a little bit of a scare in some sense one thing that we used to do was RFP deadlines for account name. And we actually got some negative feedback around that because people were like, Hey, this is not uh, genuine. And like, you're kind of lying with that subject line. So we've changed it to kind of be on that, the edge, We're walking a thin line between like evoking some emotion and making sure that we're not disingenuous.
0: That's smart. If I got RFP deadlines in my, in my inbox, I would totally open it. That's hilarious. <laughs> what about that first sentence, that preview text? I I've never heard of somebody optimizing that.
2: So the way that we actually structure our emails, we try to ask the illuminating question like up front. So for example, we'll provide like a piece of, like I said earlier with the Lupio example, or another example that I actually did recently on a post was for Vidyard, which was like the sales team at Sales Loft just ran a study across 15 million emails that showed that enterprise prospects are 65% less likely to reply to outbound emails. As you continue to go up market in the enterprise space, How are you ensuring that your reps are equipped to cut through that noise? That first sentence is a piece of research. It's different than what the typical SEO is going to send, like, hey, I checked out your LinkedIn. And I think that's why it works in combination with the subject line. So can we talk about
1: these illuminating questions? Cause you gave an example in the beginning and you've got one here and I'm thinking, all right, I want to formulate some on my own because I've never really done a prospecting where I'm asking questions of people. I'm usually talking about a problem I think they have and how I think I can help with that problem, but I've never really touched on, let me ask a question to get them to take a meeting with me. Can you help me come up with the structure for an illuminating
2: question? Like what are the components I need to have? So, the way that I look at it is, it's important to have some kind of a statement or a piece of research that you're you're essentially showing them to be like, hey, like this is this is the current situation. So in the Loopio cases, like enterprise A's are usually spending multiple days responding to an RFP. You could also use a specific stat, like if I don't have any off the top of my head for Lupio right now, but if we use like three days on average or whatever. So it's like a fact they know that you've done research on that specific topic. I did the research with sales loft. I know that 50 million emails have showed that enterprise prospects are 65% less likely. And now it's like the way that I look at the, the end of that question is like, how are you ensuring is kind of how I tend to open it up. How am I making sure that, how are you making sure that your ideal state is actually happening? So almost nobody actually answers uh, the question. It's usually just like, Hey, like, yeah, this is, this is a problem for us. Like let's chat or yeah, I'm interested, book me in or whatever. It's almost a trap a little bit, like because h- how do you really answer that question? Like there might be certain things that you're you're doing to break through that noise, but there's more that you could be doing, and that's when it's like, okay, we should have a conversation.
1: So can we talk about some of the other components of the sequence here? You've got the illuminating question email, we've got the sad face email, we've got the hey, I'm not a robot email. Are there any other touch points that really stand out from a context strategy perspective?
2: this is a bit controversial with prospects specifically. We do get some people that are not very happy with it, but it's an email that gets a response. So subject line is calling tomorrow. Pretty much the email says like, Hey Nick, I'm going to give you a call tomorrow at 1130 AM. If you're like other folks, like here's a piece of some kind of valuable content that I think you'll find valuable looking forward to discussing it then. Wow. Very simple. Now it does two things. So the way that I look at the sales development world is like it's about efficiency. I want to get to a yes or I want to get to a no. The worst thing that could possibly happen is that someone ignores me and is like a, essentially a maybe. So, what that does is people literally respond with, okay, looking forward to talking then. Or they say, uh, no, absolutely not. Don't contact me. And it elicits enough of an, an emotion that people tend to respond. But then you're like, you know what? If you're not interested, I'm going to move on from here. And that saves SDRs a ton of time. Dude, that's so good. At what point in the sequence is that? So that's actually on our step six. So for us, the way that, and just to get a bit more into sequences, so the way that we do the front of our sequences is also based off of some stuff that Beck Holland talks about, but we do like multi-step days. So day one is three touches. It's like a LinkedIn email and then a phone call. You take a break for a day. Then on day three, you do another like LinkedIn connection request. If the first step was a view, or if you've already connected with them, then you send them an actual like DM, email, phone call, and then you wait a few days, and then that, that next email is going to be the calling tomorrow.
1: Can we talk about the negative responses? Because this is something that really stressed me out when I was in SDR, where I'd prospect and maybe I'd do something a little controversial like that, and you get this angry response. How do you respond to something like that, if at all? So one of the things I'm curious about is like you get these negative email responses. And this always really stressed me out as an SDR because like I have a finite territory list. I only have so many accounts and, and contacts at those accounts that I can go after. And one, I'm stressed I'm gonna lose my job if I take a prospect off and like don't apologize. Two, I might have to go after that person to try to book a meeting in two quarters. And so I'm curious about when somebody gets upset at one of your prospecting emails, how do you respond?
2: Yeah. Yeah, it's a very good point, and and we do have to obviously deal with that probably about once a week. So, th- this is how it's we do it, and it's literally worked every single time. So it's not escalating it to a manager or anything like that. The SDR responds, and they diffuse the situation by literally like be vulnerable, ask the prospect for feedback, and just like how how would they do it? Um, so being like, hey, uh, I really appreciate the feedback. Like, I- I'm sorry that this missed the mark. I'm actually just trying a bunch of like different tactics right now as a sales leader yourself, I'm just curious, like what do you think I could have done to to kind of improve this and then maybe even provide an alternate way of doing things? So for example, RFP, so we had the subject line RFP deadlines for account name, had a few prospects that really didn't like that, thought it was disingenuous. So then we would like apologize, ask for feedback and be like, do you think it'd be better if we did this subject line instead? And almost every single time without fail, because we sell to sales that might help a little bit and they kind of get it they would actually provide feedback and it would diffuse the situation. And then you, you would actually start the conversation back up.
0: I love it. This is so good, man. Let's start to segue into the other side of things is you have your team doing the first discovery call, which is not traditional. You're an SDR leader and most of the time. Those get handed off to an AE, but in your case, you're not even doing a call call you're doing a first discovery call with your SDRs. So you've asked those questions in your cold call. You've asked the questions in your emails. You've gotten some responses. How do your SDRs then tee up that call without getting super deep in the weeds and stealing all the thunder of the ease. But what's your general approach to an SDR discovery call?
2: Yeah. I look at discovery calls from a SDR perspective as a competitive advantage. Like If you have really good SDRs and they can ask great questions and have a good disco, it sets up the sales cycle so well for the account executives. And we've gotten a ton of great feedback on our discovery calls recently because uh, our SCP of sales, Rick, actually just implemented a framework called command of the message by force management, which uh, really resonates with me. It just differs so much than a lot of SDRs just doing like the banter. Like Bant is all about you trying to get information. It's it's never about the prospect. And and our whole philosophy is like that whole call needs to be about them and understanding what they're looking for so that we could set them up for a demo. That's not going to waste their time. So the framework is kind of like this, and this is how we break down the discovery call. So first is like, obviously the intro and making sure that you're setting an agenda and an upfront contract of, if, Hey, if this makes sense at the end, we're going to, we're going to book the demo. Then comes the before state, which is what is your current situation right now? But more than that, what are the negative consequences on your business of how you're doing things today and really trying to get to like, essentially like revenue, do you need to increase revenue Do you to decrease costs? Do you need to mitigate risk? Like you want to get to that level of negative consequence. The next step is the after state or what we call the ideal state. So where do you want to be? What does ideal look like for you? And then this is what a lot of people miss. What is the positive business outcome of this ideal state? What's going to happen if we get you there for you for the business, etc. The next part is required capabilities, which is like okay, we now know what your ideal state is. What do you need in the actual platform? And this is like this is where we can start getting into the weeds and it's dangerous because you don't want to go into like features. You just want to go into like high level concepts. So for us, for example, like a required capability of an RFP response software is like, you need a centralized library to store all of your information. Okay, great. And we ask a few other things. This is also a great place, especially if it's on outbound to influence the required capability. So you're influencing them to think about certain features that they maybe didn't even think about in the past. And, that are a competitive advantage for you. And then finally, it's metrics. And it's metrics is like, okay, what are you actually gonna do? Or what do you actually need to see to purchase the solution? Like what metric throughout the sales cycle would be like, would essentially make you buy the platform? For RFP software, for example, it might be like, we wanna see the response time being cut down by 50%, or we wanna see our win rate on RFPs go up by 5%. And essentially, once you're doing that, you kind of summarize that then in what we call a mantra, but this pretty much lays it all at the foundation of like, you should know now what it's going to take and there shouldn't be many surprises throughout the sales cycle. Yeah.
0: And so let's talk about that first piece I'm familiar with command of the message. It's current state, negative consequences, after state, positive business outcomes. And then from there you go on. And so what oftentimes I find is the easiest thing to do is ask questions about your current state. How are you doing things today? What does this look like? What's this process like? Where it starts to go awry is, especially for SDRs, they don't know how to ask the questions about the negative consequences without it feeling like super leading questions or a little bit cringy.
2: And so could you talk about how you have your SDRs approach that part of command of the message? Yeah, for sure. And this is why specifically I, I don't have like a script for the SDRs where they have to ask specific questions because I want them to be like, okay, focus on them. The negative consequences is like, okay, let's use Lupio again. So a lot of people right now, like they'll have multiple libraries. They'll have like Google docs of past RFPs. Their current state is a Google doc where they have to like find answers, copy and paste control F and it's just a disaster. So just being like, what is the net? Like, how is it impacting like your day by the fact that you have to like waste time copy and pasting and find answers when you could literally just have it in a centralized library and like we can automatically input it for you, but like at the highest level, it starts with why did you take this call and what are the challenges and, and you said that, but then it's like getting deeper into how is this affecting your business overall. This is also still like an impact question, like what is the impact of not having a centralized library? How many days are you spending on responding to an RFP? I like the framework, man. Talk about
0: the uh, required capabilities piece and. In particular, my guess is when they get on the call with you, they they want to know, so like, what can you do? What can you do? What can you do? Like, how do you get them to talk about all that stuff before going into the required capabilities aspect?
2: Yeah, so essentially like the goal of this portion of the call is to really understand like what requirements they need in the solution for their ideal state, right? So a few questions like you you want to ask you and make sure that you're guiding them back to this and not just focusing on like features and, and then taking control of the call would be things like, again, specifically for Lupio, like what would you need in order to reduce the amount of time that it's taking you to complete an RFP? What would you need in order to make winning content widely available and reusable?
1: One of the things I want to ask about is like, you're on this call, right? And they've sort of articulated things. And I don't know if your SDRs have ever been in the position where they've got that initial discovery meeting and you're trying to understand all of these things that they need and want. And sometimes you have prospects who are like sort of on the fence about maybe it can help. I'm not really sure this meeting didn't totally like solidify it for me. And you're sitting there as a salesperson saying, I know if you saw this thing, like it would help you. So how do you get that customer who's sort of on the fence to say, all right, I'll agree to a demo.
2: Yeah. The way that we do this and and I think works the best is, is kind of framing it into like, what, what do you really have to like lose scenario? Hmm. And being like, hey, listen, like, and maybe calling the emotion up front, I think it's important to label thinking like, hey, I'm sensing some hesitation right now. You told me that this is your current state. This is the three things that we can do for you. Would it be a terrible idea if we just got on a quick 30-minute demo? I showed you how we can make this process better for you. And then if you don't like it, happy to part ways. Make it easy for them to, to say no, give them the option, but also... I don't want to say like making them feel like it's unreasonable to say no, but you're just like, Hey, like, what do you really have to lose here?
1: Right. I do something similar where like, I kind of throw myself under the bus where I'm like, look, you've told me a couple things here and I'm a little bit biased because I sell this thing. But I think if you saw it for 25 minutes, like one of two things would happen. Either you say this is the worst thing since canned bread and Nick wasted 25 minutes of my time, or, Oh, this thing looks like something we might actually want to explore. I guess, would you be against looking at it for a couple minutes? And so it's sort of the same thing as you where it's like, worst case scenario, you have a sense, I also say like worst case scenario, you have a sense of what else is out there, which is sort of what you're doing, where it's like, I'm okay if you don't like it. Worst case scenario, you still get something from
2: the meeting. Yeah, exactly. And you can do the same thing when they mention that they're using a competitor. It's like, you want to get them to a place where it's like, what do you have to lose? You know, it's like, it's great that you're using this competitor. They're actually fantastic This is like three ways that we do things differently. Would it be a terrible idea just to see what we have to offer? If you don't like it, you can be comfortable with the fact that you went with the best solution possible. And that's worked many times for us.
1: I love it, man. You've given me a lot of inspiration to start asking illuminating questions in my prospecting, like... This has been one of the few episodes that like pushes me to change how I prospect. So I feel good about that, but we're running out of time. So we got to move to the final question. And the final question is going to be this Lauren. we've talked about a ton of good things that salespeople should be incorporating into the way that they work. And now we got to talk about a bad habit. So I'm curious to hear from you. What is one bad habit that you see a lot of salespeople doing that you think they need to break because it's garbage and it's hurting them more than it's helping.
2: I think it comes down to like, Time allocation, like not people, SDRs need to time block. You do so many different things in a day. You send hundreds of emails, you do hundreds of calls, a lot of LinkedIn messages. A lot of people just go into their day and they let the day consume them. You need to have a plan going into it every single day. From 8 to 10 a.m., I'm calling. If I'm calling, I'm calling. That's all I'm doing. My phone notifications off. My Slack notifications are off. Nobody's bothering me. From 10 to 10, 15, I'm taking a break. Then after my break, I'm I'm sending emails or whatever that might be. I'm making videos. I'm specifically prospecting. Be diligent about what you're doing every single hour and intentional. Have a goal or else uh, that day is going to get ahead of you.
1: I love it. Either you run the day or the day runs you.
2: Florin, anything you want to plug before we jump off here? If you don't already, please follow me on LinkedIn. Uh, I try to post multiple times a week. Just like this podcast, I like to focus on actual tactical actionable tips. I don't wanna give you fluff. That's been my, my motto of my, my whole career. So thank you both so much uh, for having me.
1: Everyone go follow Florin, comment on his posts, maybe even throw him a like or the clapping hands thing. And everybody stick around for a 60 second recap coming up soon. This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense, who
0: shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Six Sense. The link is in the show notes. Your Zoom info actionable insight tactic is called Jane's Moving Up. Your top four takeaways from this episode with Florin Tatulia include, number one, backload your sequences. So three calls, one day at a time, three emails, one day at a time. At the end of your sequence, that'll jack up your reply rates. Number two, have some heartbeat subject lines. And so one example that Florin gave was RFP deadlines. You have to open that as a sales leader. Number three, the calling tomorrow subject line. You say, hey, I'm going to give you a call at 1130 a.m. tomorrow you'll guaranteed probably get a reply out of it. And then lastly, number four, the command of the message framework. What is your current state? What are the negative consequences? What is the after state? And then what are the positive business outcomes? All righty, Nick, how can people help us out?
1: Well, I can't guarantee that you'll probably get a reply to anything, which is what you said, which kind of made me chuckle. But anyways, Florin told me that he shared this podcast with his whole team. And that probably means that they're I don't know, improving their outcomes as a team. So if you haven't shared the show with someone that you love and care about, please do so because it helps us grow and end up bringing more sponsors so we can make even more great 30 MPC content. Thanks for listening. We'll see you guys next week.
0: This week's actionable prospecting tactic is from Sixth Sense who shows you the prospects who are most likely to buy so you can get more meetings with fewer activities. Personalizing cold emails requires you to only change the first paragraph in a trigger template. All you have to do is tie the research to the problem you solve in paragraph one and then switch that out while you leave paragraphs two and three, your solution and call to action, exactly the same. And so we are giving you six of these trigger templates with our partners at Six Cents. The link is in the show notes.
1: Today's deal acceleration cheat code is brought to you by Pipedrive, which is a CRM built by sellers for sellers. The best way to drive your pipeline